Go ahead and get started. Fun, uh, fun spring weather out there today, right? In like a lion, out like a lamb. Um, I know it feels like a lot of snow for mid-March, but what year was it, Ella, when we were in North Dakota and we got eight inches on May 12th or 13th, so oh, yeah. just be glad we don't have that. <laughs> I've seen a blizzard in June before, in Nebraska. In Nebraska, a blizzard in June. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think in the, is it the 1860s that the volcano over in Indonesia, Krakatoa, <coughs> erupted, and... Uh, that caused the Irish potato famine because there was cold weather and yeah, bad winters in a lot of places. Yeah, and Here cold summers too, right? Yeah. yeah. So, just goes to show the climate is always changing, and uh, the good news is God's still in charge of it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're on session number two, and um, we had just wrapped up the end of day four on that. But uh, let's go ahead and we'll sing our hymn to start off, and then we will uh, pick up with day five right where we left off. So on the front there, we're going to sing, Speak, O Lord, Your Servant Listens. And I'll try and pick a good key. (coughs) Speak, O Lord, Your Servant Listens. Let Your word to me come near. Newborn life and spirit give me, let each promise still my fear. Death's dread power, its inward strife, wars against your word of life. Fill me, Lord, with love's strong fervor, that I cling to you forever. Oh, what blessing to be near you and to listen to your voice. Let me ever love and hear you. Let your word be now my choice. Many hardened sinners, Lord, flee in terror at your word. But to me who know my burden, show me now your word of pardon. Lord, your words are waters living, when my thirsting spirit bleeds. Lord, your words are bread life-giving, On your words my spirit feeds. Lord, your words will be my light. Through death's very dreary night, yes, they are my sword prevailing and my cup of joy unfailing. Precious Jesus, I entreat you, let your words in 
me take root. <clears throat> Thou heaven enrich me, so that I bring generous fruit. Never take them from my heart, till I see you as you are. When in heavenly bliss and glory, I will meet you and adore thee. All right, let's pray our prayer. Dear messenger of grace and peace, in this quiet moment with you, I recall the depth of my need and the dread of my destiny deserved. How my heart leaps in hope at your words of promise and rescue. Take upon yourself my failures and my sins so that I may walk freely and fearlessly in triumph. I wait for you coming again and listen to your words which guide me and sustain me until you do. Help me give full heed to the message you bring. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up on the back then. Question 15 is where we left off. And uh, question 15 was dealing with verse 11. So let's read verse 11 uh, through 13. Let's read verses 11 through 13. And um, we're, uh, I should say the chapter 2, Hebrews 4. Verses 11 through 13. Hebrews 4, verses 11 through 13. All right. Somebody want to start for us today? Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Whew, terrifying words. But, um, important words for us to know and to understand. So verse 15, we kind of had answered it last week. How would you put the words of verse 11 into your own words? What's it saying? I thought, do not fall into continually testing God. God's work is done in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Believe whenever you doubt, whenever doubt tempts, return to God and His Word. Yeah. Anybody else have a thought on that? I think we could say, let us be Christians and act like Christians. That'd be saying a very similar thing, wouldn't it? And I think this verse here, I wanted to emphasize it just a little bit again, because what's the context of the book of Hebrews? What is it that we're looking at? What's that? Okay, yeah. 
Um, and what's, um, what's the right way to say it? What's the mode of delivery that it was given originally? Yeah, a sermon, right? And you see that in that verse. All the time in sermons, people say, let us then do this. And you say it that way too when you're talking about a group of people, right? I could say, um, let us go out and shovel the church parking lot, right? And when I say it that way, it's an exhortation that we should go and do that, right? Okay, okay. Nobody looks excited about that one, though. Except for Clark. Clark's got a smile. <laughs> that, that, that shows you he's speaking to the entire congregation and including himself in there with those words, let us. Okay? And then um, we want to have in that congregation striving to enter God's rest. And what's the way that that happens? We keep each other sharp. Iron sharpens iron. We keep each other in the faith, which means all of us study together the word. We kneel next to each other and receive the sacraments. We do all of these sorts of things together. And in so doing, God gives his gifts to us. And we are saved in them. All right. So let's keep on going then to question 16. Where we're in Hebrews chapter 4. And he says, These words give urgency to the point that we've been talking about through chapters 1 through 4. Now, this means we have to look back and think through the things that we've been reading about in chapters 1 through 4. He says, What's the point of the sermon so far? Okay. Um, to be thinking about it. Yes. Um, why should we worry about that? What did she say? She said eternal judgment. Um, why and why should we worry about that? We don't want to miss out. We... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. We want eternal life, not eternal death. Um, go ahead. Eternal life with God. Eternal life with God. Because there is another eternal life. Yeah. Yeah. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Um, and that's the thing we don't want. And it's coming, right? When's Jesus going to return? Soon, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know when, but it's soon. Just a little while. A little while. And, um, okay, so I'm getting older now. I'm almost 40. You know, and you get to be 40, right? And Mozart wrote all of his music and died at the age of 34. Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire and the Greeks and the e Egypt by the age of 34 and died. Jesus saved the world from sin and died at 33. And I'm 40, and you look back and you think, oh, time's going fast now. 
how long do you have, right? I'm probably over halfway, knowing my family history, right? Okay, what's that mean? Even if Jesus doesn't come back, like in my lifetime, what's the truth that I have to face and know? I'll, I'll still face God's judgment in that sense because what's going to happen to me? Gonna I'm going to die. God said I'm going to die. And when I die, I need to be in the faith. Now, <clears throat> the hard part about this is What do we value in this world? We, well, let's, let's focus on the question here first. What do we value in the world? How do you know what things are that you value? Things that you like, and because you like them, what do you do? You spend more time with them. You spend money on them. Okay. So, what things do you value most? Just think about your week. Okay. Um, I know the thing you spend the most time on every week is sleeping. Okay. But that's not necessarily because, well, maybe you do love sleeping, but that's necessary. How about your waking time? On their phones, scrolling through things, watching whatever it is on TV, football, uh, what's the thing that started today? March Madness, March Madness basketball, okay, that's the vicar's favorite thing, you know, he's eight feet tall, he likes basketball. (laughs) Those things that we love, we spend time on. And um, we look at all of our time throughout the week and how much time do we spend on church. Maybe not as much as some of the other things too, right? So that's something to think about when we're talking about that judgment and letting us strive to enter God's rest. Strive to be in church. And I say this knowing I'm preaching to the choir. Right? Because who are you folks? You're the ones who came in a snowstorm to Bible study, to hear God's word. Right? But you would think if we were all together striving, how many empty chairs would there be in here? Right. At least when I'm teaching, maybe when the vicar's teaching. No. <laughs> See, you weren't here at the beginning, so we had to make up for lost time. Here. He was, he was uh, putting ice melt on the sidewalk for us. Yes, question. So God says there's none that are worthy. So we have, he knows us inside and out, is what I think he's saying about tomorrow and everything like that. He knows us inside and out. And when we focus, if we are living, we're, we're, we're we're focused on the living. Should we be focused on the dying? 
when we're a Christian, living and dying, both are centered around Christ. You know, so um, every day I'm alive, uh, I strive to hear God's word, to read God's word, to receive his gifts. And when I die then, what happens? God's going to take care of me, and I'm going to be with him forever, receiving his gifts. So, if we worry about Christ first, then living and dying no longer um, matter as much. And if you want to learn about that, read about the saints. Okay? Um, I think... I like St. Lawrence because he makes me laugh. Okay? He was told to bring the treasures of the church to the government's office. And so he brought the poor and the widowed and children. And he said, these are the treasures of the church. So you know what they did to him? They strapped him to an iron grill and burned him alive. And you know what? He was okay with it because he knew what? He was safe. He was so okay with it. The tradition is, and I don't know if you know the historicity of the tradition or not, Vicar. I've heard this one. Yeah. You've heard this one. But I mean, is it, it's the church tradition, so that's what we'll say. He told the soldiers, I'm done on this side. You should turn me over. Okay. How can you say that if you're being burned alive? Only if you know, like Luther sang, take they our lives, goods, fame, child, or wife, though these all be gone, our victory still is won. So we don't have to worry about dying in Christ. Yeah. Soon. St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence. We just found a really neat little book at the library, um, the public library, no less, um, on saints, and it was really interesting. Do you remember the name of it, Ella or Hannah? It has, has a little couple pages on each one of them, and... Uh, We don't venerate them in the sense we don't pray to them, we don't worship towards them, but we may look at them as examples of faithful Christian life. And uh, because we're Lutherans and we don't want to appear to be Catholic, sometimes we don't look at those examples as well as we should. Okay, okay, back on topic. All right. <laughs> All right, so the point is... Judgment is coming, or Christ is returning, or we're going to die, and we don't want to miss out. Okay? Because there's nothing more important, more valuable, than the thing God will give us on that day. Nothing more valuable. 
Your biggest possession that you have is nothing compared to what Christ is going to give you on that day. All right? So, we want we want what God is giving. And we don't want to miss out. And the way we get it according to these verses, verse 12 is through the word of God. Through the word of God. So, the writer describes the word of God as living and active. It says, what do the following passages have to say about living and active word of God? So, let's see. We got a couple of them here. Can someone raise their hand and volunteer to look up Isaiah 55? Yep. Uh, Psalm 119. Leonard. Psalm 119.11. Leonard, can you get both of those, you think? Or... 9 and 11, they're just two verses apart. Ken, you, I saw your hand up. You want to do Psalm 119, 105? And then how about 130? Um, and then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Clark's got it memorized probably. You want to get that one? Okay. And 1 Peter 1, 23. Anybody? First Peter one twenty. Perfect. All right. Now I don't remember who we started with. Who's got Isaiah fifty five? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that grows out from the ground. All right, what does that say about God's Word? It has a purpose. Yeah, it has a purpose, and that purpose... Will return to God. Yeah, it does what God wants. Okay, that's why Pastor Poppy, myself... And the vicar, our most important task is getting God's word right and preached and sung. Because if we do that, what do we know happens? God will take care of the rest. Whether the church grows like crazy or shrinks and dies as churches do, God's in control and all we're responsible to do is to be faithful to the word in every single thing. All right. As the rain and the snow come down and the vicar salts the sidewalk to melt it. No, just teasing. <laughs> all right. Next one. Psalm 119. Verse 9. That's me. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Okay, what's that one say about God's word? I heard somebody say it. What's the word do? Keeps us 
Yeah. It it guards us. Okay? It keeps us in the truth, in the right. Okay? Um, keeps us keeps our way pure. Okay? We even teach this about God's word uh, when we talk about the law. The law is a curb, mirror, and a guide. And just like um, so Florida Vicar has to drive home in the snow, okay? And, and you're real good at snow because they have lots of that in Florida. Tons of it. Tons of, yeah. <laughs> so when he's driving home and starts to skid out because he's hitting the gas too hard, what happens to his Jeep? It hits the curb and keeps him from running me over as I walk down laughing at it. No, <laughs> just if you're lucky. If I'm lucky. Curb knocks you back into play. And that's what God's word does when it says, do this, don't do that. Okay, all right. How about verse 11, Leonard? I think you had both of those. Yeah. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. All right, what's it say there? Yeah, and in our heart, what's God's word do? Keeps us from sinning. Yeah, keeps us from sinning. Um, how do we know what is right and what is wrong? The law, which comes from God and is in his word. Right? Um, have you seen in the news what the legislature is doing right now? They've been debating this heartbeat bill. Okay? Can you have an abortion uh, or not? And they're trying to eliminate as many as possible with this heartbeat bill. Okay? How do we know that that's a good thing? And it's independent of whether we're affiliated with the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or the Socialist Party or the whatever party, we know it's right not because a party tells us but because God's Word tells us. And so we promote those things because the Word is true. Okay. Keeps us from sin in that way. Uh, verse 105. Who's got that one? I've got that one. Okay. Your word is a lamp to my feet and your light to my path. Okay. What's that one telling us? Yeah. A lot the same that we've been saying, right? It is a flashlight. For our feet, right? So that we know where we're going, how we're getting there, and keeps us from stumbling or stubbing our toes, right? Um, that's what the Word is doing. Keeps us going in the right direction. Keeps us going in the right direction. Okay? I think a couple months ago I preached on when I was at Boy Scout camp and didn't take a flashlight with me to the shower house and had to walk through the woods in the dark. 
and whack, 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 ran into all the branches, okay? Missed the bridge. So, God's word stops us from doing that. So metaphorically, it also keeps us from following false teaching or uh, just, just going the wrong way, you know? Yes. Um, how do we know, trying to think, let's just go all out. How do we know that the Mormons are wrong? That's an easy one. Yeah. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in the Trinity. Well, how do we know that the Trinity is real? That's in the scriptures, right? God's word says they're wrong. And not only they don't believe in the Trinity, how many gods do they have? You start doing the math, right? So when Vicar dies, he gets to be his own god of his own planet and populate it with his own spirit babies who can all become gods of their own. And you end up with how many gods? An infinite number of them. And what's the scripture say? Yeah. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. So... It puts you on the right path of teaching because the scriptures reveal what the wrong ones are. And we picked Mormons because they're easy to tell the difference. But we could do this with all the denominations. And I'm going to be a little bit brazen here. I think the Lutherans are closest to what the scriptures say. Okay, Vicar, what do you think? I don't even know if I'd go with closest. I would just say, you know, they're there. Right. Okay. All right. As you can see, the Mormons is playing at the lead this March. Oh, the, 26 and 27. the South Park thing? But I was yeah. going to say the light uh, is a comfort. Okay. Yeah, it is. Um, it's to know, you know, well, there's the light, and finally, because you're in the darkness, and so there's that light. It's good to be in the light and not in the dark. Right? Okay. Like um, like Frodo on the way to Mount Doom. Right? He's got that little test tube glow stick thing and he shakes it and then it's bright and he's not alone. Okay. Alright. That's a book series. Vicar. Okay. Alright. What's that? There you go. All right. See? There we go. My kids are into that now, too. Every time we go out to, on a date, Elizabeth and I, they're either watching Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. So it depends if Claire or Gabe won the argument. <laughs> so. All right. Something. Relate to making sure we have enough oil in our lamp for ourselves, for our own life. I think I don't want to mix metaphors here. I think if we stay in the Word, the Word is going to be the light that keeps us on the right path, and and so that's the important thing: being in church where the Word is, being in study where the Word is, reading the Scriptures where the Word is, and. Uh, 
that's, that's what will keep that light bright by the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, 130, verse 130. Who had that one? Okay, like Kim was just saying, <laughs> the Word is that light. The unfolding of the Word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Okay, and we have this understanding and the, the idea of the simple. This makes us think of Proverbs chapter 1, where we see... That real wisdom begins with faith. Which is not the way the world sees it, right? How does the world tell us wisdom begins? Our own understanding. Going to... Yeah. Personal experience is a big one right now. Or... Somebody with a degree on TV, right? And that, so a little bit of nerdiness for me now. You watch the documentaries about um, the universe and how it works. And some scientist smart guy says, well, in the beginning, there was an infinitely dense point of nothing that exploded to become everything, right? <laughs> and we say, oh, that guy's so wise. But what's he missing that actually is true wisdom? Faith, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not nothing created the heavens and the earth. Okay, now I'll get off that soapbox. The fact that the moon was towed to where it is, and it's hollow. <laughs> All right, on that note, <laughs> 2 Timothy 3. What do we learn about God's Word there? Well, first of all, it's true. It's true. Yes. God breathed, and in God there is no lie. And I even think the word God breathed is important, right? How is it that a person talks? You have to have air that you breathe out through your vocal cords. So, okay. asks, so you have the answer. You have a good comeback. Uh, well, whether I mean, God's word is always the good comeback. This is what I would say. Okay. So first off, it's true. All scripture is God breathed. It's more than just true. It's also what. Useful. Useful. Right? Okay. Um, have you ever had something that you had to have and then you got it and now it just sits on a shelf somewhere in your home? Because once you got it, you realized it wasn't actually useful? Okay, 
Maybe that's just a problem I have sometimes. I don't know if any of you do. Okay? God's word is not like that. It is useful for training, for rebuking, telling us we do wrong. Um, all those things, God's word is useful. All right, anything else about 2 Timothy 3? All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, I think. All right. All right. What's that one tell us about God's word? Yeah. God's word will have eternal life. Um, we're born again. Is that, that make sure I said it the right way? It said it. You're born again. Um, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. Okay, and when we use the word born again, what is the thing that we primarily are speaking about? Baptism. Baptism. And what is baptism? It's not just plain water. It is... Living. Well, even more than living water. I mean, living water means moving. Okay? It's, not, it's the word of God in and with the water that makes it a baptism, that makes us born again, born from above, just like Jesus told to Nicodemus. Okay? Um, water and the word. All right. Now, God's word does all of those things. And... Um, Rather than question 18, I just want to talk about this little section here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, two-edged sword. Why does the author of Hebrews say that? What's a two-edged sword mean? What's it got? Two, two, sides. Sides. two sides, two cutting edges, right? So, theoretically, you could swing it either way, like that, and you can cut on either side. Why, why does he say it has a two-edged sword and not a one-edged sword like maybe a pirate would have? Like a cutlass. Why is it two-edged? Think about God's word. Law and gospel. Yeah, it has two parts that cut. <laughs> the law and the gospel. It shows our sin and shows our Savior. Okay? And um, two-edged sword piercing between soul and spirit or piercing between joints or bone and marrow. What's that tell us about God's word too? 
think it's saying too, maybe the word you take in is the word you will probably take out. In other words, what you learn mm. is what you will teach. So it's well, I, I, I don't know that that's not true. That's, I don't think that's what this part is saying here. What's it mean that it can cut a fine line? Maybe we should think about ourselves for a second and our sin. Is there often a fine line between what is sinful and what is not? Okay, and what's God's word able to do? Precisely divide between the two. How good are we at that? <laughs> Not very good. For us, the line is a lot wider and grayer. Right? Do you ever have days where you say, I don't know what to do because I don't know what is right? Where do we find out what the, the truth is? God's Word. God's Word. It's able to laser precision between those things. But we have to know God's Word and continually learn more as we go through life. Yes. And Pastor Molly, it yes. also means it's in the doing and the not Mm -hmm. can, can cut as well. Sins of omission and commission, both. Yeah. And um, God can do this through his word in ways that we don't understand. So much so that um, when a pastor preaches, and I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, um, the pastor can say something in his sermon, and some of the congregation will hear it, as law, and some of the congregation might hear it as not law. <laughs> What's that? Advice, maybe do this. Yeah. Yeah. A suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. And the pastor's job in this case is to just say what the word says, and who's the one who's going to make sure it works as law and gospel appropriately and all the members hearing it? The Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, which is where both faith and unfaith are flowing out of. Now here's the terrifying part. Verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So often people think it's okay. Nobody knows what I've done. Right? None of you know my deepest, darkest sins. And I bet for many of you, I don't know your deepest, darkest sins. Because we, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, like to do what? Hide them. <laughs> Hide them away where no one else can see them. But who can see them? 
Alright, when Adam and Eve covered their bodies with fig leaves, was it going to keep God from seeing them? When they jumped in the bushes wearing the fig leaves, did it keep God from seeing them? When they started lying about what they had done, did it prevent God from knowing? Is it any different from you? Does God know your sin? Absolutely. And that's terrifying to think about at first. But also, what does God say about your sin? That he knows. He forgives you. How? Through his son. Yeah. Jesus bore that sin. And that's why it's good that there's no sin you can hide from him. Because that means when Jesus came and bore your sin, there wasn't something that you had hidden away that he forgot about. He bled and died for all of it. Now, where we really struggle is to actually live that way. Because <laughs> we, th we think we're still hiding it. We think we can keep it from him. That's why confession and absolution is such an important thing. That, unfortunately, in the church, we have greatly neglected. It's there, not so that God knows about it and he can make sure he forgives it. Confession and absolution is so that we can acknowledge that God already knew about it and that he's forgiven it and that we can know that he's forgiven it. Is that the right way to say it, Vicar? You disagree? Good. Okay. Make sure. You're giving me kind of a sideways look there. So I can see where this phrase, give account, could be used by some to make a case for works. I, I heard this, I guess. Yes. From in, in another study group. Right. And um, your accounting of your sins even, and your righteous acts will yeah. be used to place you in a better place. We always have the same question come up when we confess the Athanasian Creed, right? Because uh, you guys remember the last time we've done that? You've got to find the page here. It ends with this. At his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. And that's, it sounds like the same thing they're saying here too, right? So what do we do with that? How do we understand that? Nothing we can do is good unless it's through Jesus. Right. The... Forgiveness and mercy of Christ makes the things that you do good. It cleanses your actions as well. So the mom, this is the example Luther used, I think, make sure I'm saying that correctly. The mom who changes her baby's diaper in faith, God looks at that and says, what? Well done, good and faithful servant, for having that compassion on your child, just like I have compassion on them. 
The mother who doesn't believe in Christ, when she changes her baby's diaper all the same, from God's perspective, what's he say? And I'm putting words in his mouth, so please understand what I mean and not what I... Right. He says, he, he says, he thinks what he wants is that she may repent and believe the gospel. From human perspective, it's the same. From God's viewpoint, that distinction is there in the deeds. So when we give an account, it's, it starts with the faith that's living and active and then brings these things out. I don't know if I'm making sense. When confession is done, it's done in secret. And so when God says, all secrets will be revealed, he may be saying, this is what will be revealed. Everyone will know now. You may have kept it a secret then, but everyone will know what your secrets were or that other secrets that we don't know about in the Bible will be revealed. I, I think... I think what we can say is that the account we'll give will primarily be this. I have nothing to plead except for the mercy of Christ who has forgiven my sins. And when we say that and give that account, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When All these things. No, it's going to be our faith. I, I, okay. Now, I, I'm, I'm talking about the deeds because what's our faith do within us? It causes us to, to do good deeds. Right. And because we say those words in the Athanasian Creed, we have to understand, and that's why I'm... So you, you're right. Okay. But, but isn't that what we do outwardly, Pastor? We do that outwardly. We show everyone how good we are. Um, and that's the good that we, It's those secrets we profess. We confess we boldly that we are sinners by our fault, our own fault, our own most grievous fault, and that our only hope is Christ's mercy and his blood and his death and his resurrection and um, that's what we say. And at that point, it, it won't matter. God will know, and, and he, he will take into consideration the account that, that he talks about. But it's not going to matter to anybody else. It's not that it's going to be put on a billboard and, and shown to everybody. It's between us and God. Yeah. Well, those sins have been forgiven. They, he doesn't even remember them. I might remember them, 
that God does for As far as the east is from the west. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I didn't hear you, Dale. I says God doesn't see our sins because of Jesus forgiven them. He sees Jesus clothed in the robe of his righteousness. So our account is we belong to Jesus. And the account of our deeds, like we say in the Athanasian Creed, is we had faith in Jesus and that washed all the things that we did. We are declared not guilty for Christ's sake. That's the judgment. And it's been spoken already, but not yet fully realized. Because we struggle with it, right? Um, People come in to my office all the time, and they're like, hey, whoops, right? And... What's my job? To announce God's forgiveness. Yeah. To say, don't forget the judgment that has been declared through the death and resurrection of Christ. Your sin is forgiven. If you repent, you have to repent. Yeah, that's saying, I always have a tough time when we say we have to repent. As if the repentance is a good work that we must do. Where is repentance? How is repentance brought about? Yeah, repentance has two parts. That we acknowledge the thing we've done is wrong and that we believe that Christ forgives it. And when we think about the whole thing of repentance then, we see God is the one doing it in us through his word and sacrament. For Paul says, how did I know that this thing I'm doing is wrong unless God's word tells me that? And so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, Christ is even working repentance in us through his word and through his gifts. So, must we repent? Yes, so long as we understand that correctly and don't think. I, I struggled with this when I was a kid, right? Okay, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's true. It's God's word. Christ said it. And so you know what my brain said? How do I make myself believe? (laughs) Which Dr. Masaki would say is wrong question. (laughs) Okay? Because that's a question of the law. How do I believe? How do I repent? The Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. 
if we don't have that, we're not going to have the the desire to repent, are we? If we don't have the word, have yeah, have Jesus working in us. Yeah. I mean, we have to want to repent. Because if we don't have Jesus within us, we are dead. We're dead. And so, when he makes us alive, that desire to live repentantly and to be a Christian is made alive. And immediately our sinful nature tries to kill it again. <laughs> all right? And that battle is going on within us all the time. Okay? That's why Luther says we have to daily drown our sinful nature in the waters of holy baptism. If I grab the vicar right here by his neck and I try to drown him in the sink in the kitchen over there, what's the vicar going to do? going to win. <laughs> He's going to try and stop me. He's going to struggle. He's going to, I don't know, going to go Bruce Willis on me or whatever. Right? Our sinful nature does the same thing. That battle's there. The two are fighting each other. And God's word is the thing that ultimately is our only hope. And when you say that battle, are you talking about the demons that are out there trying to take us away from Christ? That's a, that's a part of it, yeah. And mm -hmm. Christ and his word is the only, only hope we have. It is very serious. Strive to enter the rest. That's where the sword comes in, too. <clears throat> Separating the good from the bad. Yes. The word is that two-edged sword. All right. So I, I think that so, how we interpret the Bible as well as how we live by it. Because there are interpretations. And I think God is saying, you know, you have a law of conscience now. You have the ability to yeah. know when you're doing something that's, wrong. See, I think that's where we have to, rather than bring an interpretation to God's word, which so many churches do, or to bring our rational thoughts to the word, which so many people do, we have to let scripture interpret scripture. And let that be the, the final deciding thing. That's why us Lutherans say, um, okay, the place you probably get asked about it the most is um, communion. How do you know that the bread and the wine is Christ's body and blood? Does it make any sense? Can your rational mind understand it? Can you cut open the piece of bread and look in there and see cells of Jesus in there? Can you find hemoglobin in the wine from Jesus' blood? Can you clone Jesus from the communion elements? No. So how do you know? Yeah, the only way is by the word. And so we can't bring our ra rational thought to it. We have to let God tell us. Because he understands it way better than anybody here can. And he 
is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the beginning and end of wisdom. And uh, as we read, I don't remember which one it was, talking about the simple. That was verse 130 or 105 from Psalm 119. And we talked about some Proverbs there too. Um, Our simple mind, the only way we'll ever know the truth is through God's word. Not through the scientific method, not through philosophy, only through God's word. I was coming from a place where, say, say the murderer, and then say, you have on the other hand, you have God says, visit those who are in prison. If you put those two together, one might put their own interpretation of what that means, in that uh, they may all of a sudden look at that murderer as being just as um, just as saved as anybody else already. They may already have said that that person is saved. And a murderer... God is saying, don't forget my law. I just want you to don't forget the person because my own son was judged and imprisoned. And he wasn't even a sinner at all. But I don't know that he's saying go and uphold the sinner. Just make sure you're there. Feed them. You know, it's not your place to judge, per se, if it's not your place to judge. But don't forget them. Don't let them sit there and rot, because God knows what happened truly inside. And if we do the right yeah. thing by at least offering them food and, and Well, I, I think we're getting onto a different topic a little bit, but I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. What I'm saying is the Word is the foundation of wisdom and understanding and truth and outside of that if or if we bring anything else to the word adding or subtracting that we end up drifting away from the truth of the word and that's that's the challenge of so many denominations out there today okay we're out of time (laughs) hopefully the snow is done Let's close the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.